Okay, we're going to continue our series on the Trinity Bible Fellowship Statement of Faith. This is, this is what we believe. And we, we want to really, you know, be grounded in this because, you know, as days get real tough, um, we want to know what it is we're standing up for, what we believe, what we won't give on. And so we are Christians, we're followers of Christ, and we believe the following truths that we're going to be talking about uh, today. And we'll talk a little bit about man and sin today, and, um, and then maybe even get a chance to, to touch on the first two points, the Bible. We didn't really get into that, and, and so we kind of switched the order. Uh, Victoria typed these out for us with the Bible verses. So now if you get the handouts, you get the Bible verses that support the teachings as well. And so if you just close your, your eyes and you know, bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, we want you. We want your presence. We want your truth. We want your power, Lord. We know, Lord, there's no power in lies. There's no power in fake news. So the people that are here today, they came to hear your word, your truth, not the faulty wisdom of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel this fallible man, and that you would anoint me, empower me by your spirit, so that I would proclaim your truth from your infallible word, from your perfect word. And I pray, Lord, that I would not lead anyone astray with my words, but I pray you give everybody here the courage to test what I teach them with the word of God. And if it fails that test, let God be true and every man a liar. And so, Lord, we, we love you and we just we want to not only know your truth, but we want to apply it to our lives. And so we pray that your spirit would anoint us and uh, that your spirit would, would fill us that your spirit would empower us to be obedient to you, to serve you, to build your kingdom, and to do it all for your glory, not our glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so the Trinity Bible Fellowship Statement of Faith, we already talked about the fact that we believe that there's only one God, and this God eternally exists as three equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's called the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? Uh, we said this one God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Now, you might believe, some Christians believe, uh, that God used evolution. I disagree with them, and I think that's really... If you're going to take the first 11, if you're not going to take the first 11 chapters of Genesis seriously, I don't know why you take the rest of the Bible seriously. But there are some believers that do believe God used evolution. That's a little scary for me. Uh, I think the Bible is real, real clear. There is a God, and he has existed throughout all eternity, his pure, infinite existence, and everything else that exists came from him. And I don't think he used a wasteful billions of years process uh, called evolution, a bloody process. I think when God said it is good, after he created Adam and Eve, they weren't standing on ground that was covering billions of fossils of dead animals. Okay, so 
and even some, even my Christian scholar friends sometimes think I'm a little, little bit of a kook, but believe me, the Bible has never made a mistake. Yet scientists have made mistakes over and over and over again. Right now, they're acknowledging mistakes, uh, modern science, that they made a few years ago. I don't want to be specific on that because then they'll cancel this sermon like they have a few others. There's certain things you can't talk about in this quote-unquote free country, but science got it wrong. People with common sense got it right. Um, between uh, 19, uh, wait, between 2019 and 2021, and, um, and so that's what you get with science. It's hit or miss. And so I'm just going to stick to the Bible. Yeah, I've got some questions that, the, that aren't answered scientifically, but I'm going to side uh, with the Bible. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, recorded without error in the originals. We've got outstanding accurate copies so we know what the original said and the bible is profitable for teaching the redeemed in doctrine as well as in daily living it's the final authority upon which all other things are are to be tested we probably won't get to that this this week maybe we'll touch on that next week on the doctrine of the bible we talked about angels created spirit beings um they rebelled some of them rebelled against god they're called demons unclean spirits Satan is the highest fallen angel, and he's the leader of the demons. And now we want to talk about man, man and sin. And so the Bible teaches, let's open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible. And uh, we see here that man was created in God's image. Genesis 1 uh, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. I believe God's talking to himself. He called himself us. Okay? And there's numerous Old Testament passages that hint at the doctrine of the Trinity. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? So man was created in God's image. And we don't have time to look at it, but if you went further into Genesis 2, it, it gets more specific about that, that God formed man from the dust of the ground, formed his body, and then breathed life into his nostrils. Okay? The Bible says that God formed Eve from Adam's side. We have a leading Christian apologist. He's a friend of mine, too. You know, we sometimes, sometimes we speak at the same conferences. He's way more famous than, than me, if I'm even famous at all, but uh, who is now embracing a form of theistic evolution where he believes like something like, I don't know if it's 75,000 years ago or 750,000 years ago that some subhuman hominid creatures that weren't, they weren't fully human, that a man came out and a female came out and they got together and that started the human race and that is not biblical, okay? 
we're not evolving and getting better. We're going down, okay? I mean, we can accumulate information and technology, but we're dwarfs, intellectual dwarfs standing on the shoulders of giants so we could see further than them, but it's because of all the thinking that they did, okay? And um, so, but, uh, so basically I'm sticking with the, with the text, Genesis 1 to 11. Genesis 12 to 50 are not symbolic. They're not mythology. With the call of Abraham and also why would, why would I reject the creation, the flood, the, the fall, and the Tower of Babel? And, um, but, uh, but man was created in God's image. Now, after God created man, and he gave, because man was created in God's image and able to commune with God and um, had an intellect that could commune with God, had a will to do what is right and what is wrong, Man was created in God's image, and man had this moral purity. We were created perfect. We had no sin. We didn't even have a sin nature, okay? It was just natural for us to obey God. Well, in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, then says that then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day, the sixth and final day of creation, then God rested on the seventh day. But uh, God says everything was good. Man was created in God's image. Now you get to Genesis 3, 1 to 7, and um, man falls. And God had commanded Adam and Eve, said, you could eat from any tree in the garden. Just don't eat from the one tree of the forbidden fruit. And then a serpent came, and Satan spoke through the serpent. Even Revelation 12 identifies the serpent, verse 9, as, uh, as Satan himself, the devil. Um, but, you know, those are, those are other things that a leading Christian apologist is saying. No, I don't believe that Adam was formed from the ground, Eve from his side. I don't believe in there was a literal tree. So he believes in a historical Adam and Eve. He classifies the first 11 chapters of Genesis as mytho-historical, okay, and um, he's, I might as well tell, tell his name. I mean, why not? William Lane Craig in his book, Quest for the uh, Historical Adam. I don't think we need to search for the historical Adam. I don't even think we should have been involved in the quest for the historical Jesus. If you believe, you, you claim to be an evangelical scholar, you, play, you claim to believe that the Bible is God's word, then we don't need to search. You want to search for the historical Jesus? Just read the Gospels. Okay, if that's not good enough for you, then I question why you call yourself an evangelical. Evangelical scholars are supposed to believe the entire Bible is the word of God without error. Yet we got so many of our evangelical scholars joining in a search for the historical Jesus. Now they're in a search for the historical Adam. Okay, they're questioning maybe, maybe there wasn't really a fall. Okay. Hey, look, if there's no fall, there's no need for salvation. Let's not go down this route. Okay. And, um, but these are the guys that are training our future pastors at our uh, seminaries today. But man was created in God's image, but then lost his moral purity by sinning in the Garden of Eden. Look at uh, Genesis 3 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
You know, right there, he's lying. God said, you can eat from any tree of the garden, just not one, the tree of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God knows good and evil because he knows everything. The only way we could know good just by following God. The only way we could know evil, we'd have to experiment with it and do it. Okay? So God didn't want us to have the knowledge of good and evil. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's off to a good start. Because she's saying, no, no, that's not correct, dear. Let me correct you. This, the word of God, what God said was we could eat from the, the fruit from the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if God told them not to touch it, it's not it wasn't included in the command in the Bible. So she might be adding to God's word. She's probably adding to God's word right there. She's getting herself in trouble. But the other thing is, why you, come on, Eve, why are you hanging out by the tree you're not supposed to eat from, you know? I mean, just like you tell a kid, you know, hey, don't be eating cookies from the cookie jar because you've got to save room. We're having liver and onions tonight. <laughs> the kid's going to hover around a cookie jar all day and, um, and reenact uh, the fall in the garden, okay? That's just the way we are. You know, why do I drive 35 or 40 miles an hour on a specific street? Um, because speed limit says 25. And so you're thinking, well, what will, how much can I get away with without being stopped by the police and stuff? That's just human nature. And, uh, but she's hanging out by the tree, but, she, but she's saying, no, we're not supposed to eat from the, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? And um, so right there, he's denying the word of God. Our culture's telling it, look, look, if you do what God says don't do, don't worry about it, you will not die. There's no consequences for disobeying commands from an old, antiquated, you know, outdated book called the Bible, actually a collection of 66 books. No, you will not surely die. If you want to um, be sexually promiscuous, you won't spiritually die. If you want to be homosexual, you won't spiritually die. If you want to change your, your gender, you won't spiritually die. If you want to abort your baby, you won't spiritually die. That's fake news. Brothers and sisters, that's fake news. And we got a culture that's hammering it into our heads and with social media. And I'm telling you, the, the, the church, trying to equip the saints for service, it's hard to compete with the world and its agenda. But, uh, but Satan says, look, you're not going to die. You disobey God. God doesn't want you to do that because if you do that, you'll be like God yourself knowing good and evil. Now, by the way, the word for you'll be like God, Elohim, you know, El means one, uh, Elah, two, Elohim, three or more. But the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, Elohim created, bara, the heavens and the earth. Bara is singular. So you could actually translate the first verse of the Bible in the beginning, one God who was somehow three or more created the heavens and the earth. 
So Elohim will be mentioned of, about God throughout the Old Testament, okay? But sometimes the false gods are called the Elohim, and then it's the gods. With this, there's no modifiers for us to know in the Hebrew, so you, this could be translated, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil, or you will be like God, the God, the true God, knowing good and evil. Either way, either way, if, uh, if your goal in life is to be a God or your goal in life is to be the God, I want the whole universe. You might say, well, nobody would be that stupid. Hey, talk to me after church. I'll give you a list of names. And, um, um, I mean, the World Economic Forum just met in Davos and they're laying out the plan and they want to save the earth. So what do they want to do? They want to exterminate a whole bunch of us. I mean, thank you. I mean, with, uh, with healing like that, you know, um, you know, who, who needs murder? But whatever the case, this, this lie mankind has been falling for. And, it, and to this day, that's you, you're, you got a choice. Either you try to be God or you worship the true God. That's the choice that all of us have in this life. You got a thirst for God? It's the essence of free will. You got a thirst for God. Deep down inside, you know something's missing until you find the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Some of us are hurting, man. We're looking in all the wrong places. Married woman was thinking, if I just find the right man, things will be great. And she had gone through relationships where guys were probably just tossing her out of the house. And then she met Jesus. She did meet the right man, but it had nothing to do with marriage and everything to do with salvation. And, um, but we got this thirst for God. At the same time, we have this desire for human autonomy. We want to be our own God. We want to be king. And uh, it's like C.S. Lewis said, it's either uh, my will be done or his will be done. That's the choice. And so I'm hoping and praying everybody at TBF and our friends and our family that we will choose to worship the triune God. That we will choose to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, and that we won't make the stupid choice so many people are making today where they want to be their own God. And there's some people there that just, you know, just humble, hurting people. And they'll worship whoever puts food in their belly. So what does the government do? It gives them kind of bread and circuses. And um, they're talking about two microchipping. World Economic Forum wants to microchip people. And if you take the microchip, you get uh, $2,000 a month to live off of. And then you can make whatever money you make on a side. And they're going to make it voluntary, but they're going to bribe you to take it. Just like, you know, they were offering free bus rides if you did something the government wanted you to do not too long ago. Again, I don't want to get canceled um, in this free country. But whatever the case, uh, we got to make that choice. And I hope and pray that you'll choose to worship God, because a lot of people right now, they're worshiping the state. And these guys that want to rule the planet, 
Um, they want to be worshipped. They want the planet. They think the planet belongs to them. And right now, the administration in this country could care less about protecting us, Americans. Just wants to hand us off to this uh, global state. And um, it's all satanic. The serpent is still speaking today. Satan is alive and well on the planet Earth. He still has access to heaven, to God's throne room, to accuse us. And he comes to Earth seeking whom he may devour. And, uh, and we got to choose. So he said, look, if you sin, if you disobey God, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And there's a good head of the household. Well, what's, what's Adam doing as the head of the household? He's standing there right by his wife where they shouldn't be standing, you know? Sometimes I think, you know what? If I was there, I probably wouldn't have fallen because I don't even like fruit. You know, I'd be eating a, I'd be eating a Twinkie somewhere else in the garden. But, but no, Adam, Adam and Eve were perfect. And I was born with a sin nature, so all of us would have done worse than, than Adam. But, but whatever the case, the dude just standing right by his wife, letting her make bad decisions, hanging out in the wrong place. It'd be like you saying, Lord, I got a drinking problem. Take this, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Okay, I said my prayer. I'm going to the bar again to hang out with my friends. It's like, it's like hey, if you're weak in an area, don't hang out by that tree and uh, but he was right there he was letting her call the shots and uh, and so then and, you know Eve fell because she was deceived by a, a, a higher intellect a higher power Lucifer himself why did Adam fall Adam fell because he had to choose between his woman and his God. And he said, hey, if she's going down, um, I'm going to go down with her. I'd rather, I'd rather walk with her and not have God than walk with God and not have her. Have her. So, um, so Adam, not exactly the best, best guy. And then he said, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, the last verse uh, verse 2, they were, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now all of a sudden they recognize, oh no, I don't have any clothes on, I'm naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Okay, so it's like, you know, why were they naked and not ashamed? Because they had no shame. Adam and Eve were exactly who God created them to be. They were not ashamed to stand before God, okay? When they sinned, then it's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm ashamed to stand. I want to hide myself from God. So they sowed fig leaves, which, yeah, that's a real, you know, that's going to dry up and fall off in a day, okay? Man's always trying to cover his sin and, and means that just don't work. God has said, no, there's got to be innocent bloodshed to, a, to atone for sin. God probably slaughtered animals because he covered them with animal skin. I don't think God created the whole animal kingdom and then created some animal skin without animals and then put it, I think he killed the animals 
And um, um, you could read further on in this passage and all, but they were naked and they were ashamed. This, you know, evolution has no real good explanation. People, you know, in evolution can say, well, we wear clothes because we get cold without them. What are you talking about? Go to the hottest places on earth and tribal peoples will still cover the uh, private parts of their bodies. Okay? Once in a while I'll be watching a documentary on some tribal people and they're wearing at least like loincloth or something covering themselves. And um, every once in a while you see a you know, a nine-year-old boy running around totally naked, and you're like, okay, he hasn't reached the age of accountability yet. He, he's not self-conscious enough to know that he should be ashamed to walk around naked. But you reach a certain age where you're ashamed. That's why nudist colonies are so evil. They're flaunting. They say, hey, I'm, I'm good just the way I am. No, you're not. Okay? We got to cover our shame. The reason why a husband and a wife can come together and can be naked together because the two become one. Even if I'm ashamed of who I am before I came to Christ, and I want to cover that shame, I got to get used to it because I got to get washed, got to take a shower, okay? Well, when you get married, the two become one, okay? And, um, but why do people cover themselves all over the world, even if it's 105 degrees? Because they got shame. They're ashamed of who they are before the all-seeing God. And in fact, Adam even went further. He was hiding in the bushes. And God said, Adam, where are you? Adam wasn't looking for God. We don't look for God. Jesus told us he came to seek and save that which is lost. He has to come after us. The Holy Spirit has to draw us, has to melt our hearts. It's what theologians call prevenient grace. Uh, an enabling grace that sets the will free and it draws you to God. And I, I believe you make that choice. Some theologians disagree, but I believe you've got to make that choice. But you can only make that choice if God has already drawn you and worked on your heart. So C.S. Lewis, a great defender of free will, said that he came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. And I think we all do to one degree or another. We want to be our own kings, and eventually uh, some of us do trust um, in the Lord. And, uh, you know, and then you could read the rest of it where God's like, come on, Adam, what did you do? And it's like, well, wait a minute. The woman that you gave me, and it's like, you know, and guys are still doing that to this day. Guys are still, you got problems in the home. It's like, Lord, the woman you gave me, you know, and it's just like, you know, there's, it's like, my wife's not submitting to me, like Ephesians 5 says. Well, are you loving your wife like Christ loves the church? I've never seen a guy doing that. We try. We, I have seen some ladies submitting to their husbands, but I've never seen a guy loving his wife as Christ loves the church. But to this day, we're, we're the same type. But God pr promised judgment and all on the serpent, and, uh, but he covered them with animal skins. Okay, but in verse 15 of Genesis 3, God said, I will put enmity, hatred. I always wish they used the word, they translate that hatred, because sometimes I can't pronounce enmity. But I will put, en there it is, enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is that? I agree with C.S. Lewis. That's the first preaching of the gospel. That God promised that a man would be born of woman who would crush the head of Satan, defeat the work of Satan and his angels, but in the process he himself would suffer. So you have the prediction of a suffering Savior. In fact, it's interesting that the word for seed or offspring there is literally, it's the seed is what the man contributes to a new life. The sperm of the man, the egg of the woman, uh, that produces a new life. So this is the only time where the seed is the seed of the woman. So it's, uh, some scholars believe this is actually implying a virgin birth, that there's going to be a man born of woman without the agency of a, of a human male, and he is going to crush Satan's head, but he will suffer himself in the process, the prediction of a suffering Savior. What you find there is the one true faith, okay? Is Christianity the one true faith? Yes, it's the one true faith, but we need to think of it as the one true faith recovered. Because people could say, well, how could Christianity be the one true faith? Hinduism has been around 1,500 years longer than it, because Hinduism goes all the way back to the time of Moses. Okay? But you got to understand, the one true faith starts right here in the garden, and then God, through progressive revelation, gives more and more details about this suffering Savior. The Old Testament saints didn't even know his name would be Jesus. suffering savior. Melchizedek knew all this. Noah and his family, they knew stuff. Melchizedek knew it. He was the priest of the most high God. Abraham gave 10% of what he had to him. And Abraham is going to be the father of the, the Jewish nation, the chosen nation of God. And the Jews, they had this. The, the Jewish faith, if you properly interpret the Old Testament, you interpret it uh, Christologically, Christocentrically. You look for Christ in the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. Jesus says that he's the theme. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, he says he's the theme of the Old Testament. They got bogged down by interpreting it legalistically. What rules and regulations do I have to obey to get to heaven? Well, you can't. You can't earn it. We're fallen. And um, so man was created in God's image, but lost his moral purity by sinning in the Garden of Eden. But God let them know, hey, look, sin's got to be covered by innocent bloodshed, and someday the Savior will come, and he will defeat the works of Satan. He will save you, but he'll be bruised uh, in the process. Okay, and uh, look at Romans 5. Romans 5. Romans 5, 1st verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? So we were going to inherit the nature of our parents. They were created with a perfect nature, 
but they fell into sin. They corrupted human nature. And so we inherited a corrupted human nature um, from our parents, basically. I'll just leave it at that. And, um, and so when Adam and Eve fell, the whole human race fell since the whole human race was coming from them. Look at verses 17 to 19 of Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 17 through 19. For if by one man's offense, that was Adam, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. So when Adam fell, the whole human race fell, resulting in condemnation. We deserve the flames of hell. Even so, through one man's righteousness, right, one man's righteous act, the Lord Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. That's through the Lord Jesus. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the second Adam, uh, many will be made righteous. Okay? So all... Even though we were created perfect, we fell into sin, and so all men inherit a sin nature from Adam and are therefore sinners standing condemned before the holy God. It might sound weird, but we're not sinners because we sin. Uh, we're, we're sinners because we were born sinners, okay? And because we were born sinners... Once we reach the age of accountability, and I don't know how early that is, it's probably different for each person, but it's probably pretty early. Once we know right from wrong, we choose wrong. We go right to that tree of the forbidden fruit. And um, look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 22, it's talking about Jesus' resurrection in this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Okay? So we inherit a sin nature from our parents. Now, I think if you don't live long enough, this is very debatable, but if you don't live long enough to reach the age of consciousness, see, you're born with a sin nature, but you don't sin until you know right from wrong. And so if a little baby dies, okay, what happens to a little baby if they didn't reach the age of accountability, they didn't know right from wrong, they didn't have that consciousness of, of right and wrong, and they die, what happens to them? Okay, well, we have an example in the Bible. King David's baby boy died at age seven days. He couldn't even circumcise him. You don't circumcise a boy till the eighth day. And when the baby died, David stopped mourning. And they said, look, you were mourning for your son while he was alive. David said, yeah, he was sick and dying. I thought God might heal him. 
They said, but you stopped mourning now? He said, well, he died. And he can't come to me, but I will go to him. I'll see him someday. And I don't think, I don't think God said, I'm going to be, treat King David's baby in a special way and no other babies like that. And uh, by the way, David knew where he was going. 23rd Psalm, verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you could add a footnote to that. David would say, I, I will live in the house of the Lord forever, and I'm going to see my little boy. Now, I have not, I would not call it a privilege. I would not call it an honor. I just call it a duty, something that if you're a pastor, it comes with the turf that you got to do. Um, I performed uh, three memorial services for little babies. One, I don't know why, it was an open casket right in front of my pulpit. Looking at this little heavy boy. He was going to be a strong boy. My nephew. And... Uh, But I gave hope to the parents. The little boy's mom, my niece, you know, I remember one Christmas, I, uh, we have to pick names, and I ended up getting stuck with picking her name. So I don't even know what I got her. I probably gave my wife 10 bucks and buy the kid a gift. But I had to present it to the kid on Christmas Day. And, um, and she smiled at me, this little girl. and. Uh, and so I like, you know, rah, like that. And I knew it scared her, but she liked the gift so much that she just went up and just hugged me real tight. And uh, now I was fighting back tears, this little girl. And uh, she was in her 20s. She looked like she was 14. And I performed her wedding. And she looked like a little, little teenage girl. And then when I showed up, and Anacortes, after her baby died, I could see lines in her face and it looked like a little 14-year-old overnight was a 30-year-old. A face that had been crying, her and her husband, for her little baby. And uh, But our God's good. Our God gives us hope. And even in the midst of our fall, God said, oh, by the way, there's going to be a man born of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent is working overtime right now, especially with America. Before you can have a global government and have the demon-possessed Antichrist ruling over the world, America's got to fall. Satan is working overtime right now. And um, Michael the Archangel didn't even want to mess with Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay? And uh, I'm telling you, Satan is big. Satan is powerful. Satan is attractive. He attracts most people on earth to him, either directly or indirectly. 
But I got news for Satan. The suffering Savior, Savior came. He died and he rose. He conquered. Okay? I'm not waiting for Jesus to conquer in the future. He's already conquered. I'm just waiting for King Jesus to come back and take what is rightfully his. I'm waiting for King Jesus to come back and take what he won. And so Satan, if you're listening, you're going down. Because King Jesus, King Jesus has won the battle. And uh, he has crushed your head. And he's going to come back and take what's your own. So don't, don't fall for the lies of this world. The world is lying out there, promising us all kinds of stuff. And they're getting to the point where we're so dependent on the government that if the government just withholds what it gives us, most people would deny Christ in a heartbeat. And so we got to stay true uh, to King Jesus. And, uh, and so 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all should be made alive. So this is, um, this is something that we have to really really focus on, are you still in Adam? I mean, we're all in Adam in that we were born physically. But we all die in Adam. And so the question comes up, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Just as in Adam all die, in Christ all live. So some people say, oh, everybody's going to be saved. No, no, you got to be in Christ, and then you live. And so you got to decide which side you're on. I'm telling you, things are going to get so horribly bad in this country. I mean, it's going to get the way it is already in places like China and Iran and uh, India uh, and many African nations. Africa is a much more Christian continent than North America is. The problem is about half of the, about one of every two people there is a Bible-believing Christian. The other half are either Muslims or communists who love killing Christians. But it's going to get hot in the kitchen in America. So don't wait until somebody's breaking down your door in the middle of the night to take you away to decide which side you're on. We were created in God's image. Human life is sacred. But we're fallen. Yeah, I trusted in Jesus in 1981 for salvation when I was 21 years old. Um, but each and every day, I recommit my life to him, okay? So I'm telling you, the easiest person on the planet to lie to is yourself. And there's a lot in Kitsap County and throughout Washington State, throughout America, throughout the world, there's an awful lot of people who claim to be Christians and they're fooling themselves. They don't examine their conscience you know, uh, I, I, I think I have proven that I could be a really good, strong Christian when things are going good, okay? My faith hasn't been tested yet. Most of us here, our faith hasn't been tested yet. But that day will come, and you've got to decide which side you're on. Are you saying, I'm just content with being in Adam? And, yeah, let's get together this whole world and hold hands and pretend everything's okay, it's not okay. It is not okay. 
You've got to be in Christ. Turn your life over to Christ. Now we'll talk, next week we're going to be talking about uh, the Lord Jesus and salvation through him. I don't want to end on a sour note. Trust in the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus, for salvation. But we're going to look at right now, I think we've, we've got time to look at the doctrine of the Bible. We are Christians, we're followers of Christ. That means we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay? The Bible is a collection of 66 books that God guided human authors to record his word without error. There are guys that call themselves evangelicals and say they believe the Bible is God's word without error. Yet, they say God gave them his word and it was their intention to record it without error, but because they're human, there's errors in the text. No, inspiration talks about, it's revelation when God reveals his truth to the biblical authors. And then with their vocabulary and their personality, God guides them to record his words without error. So the perfectness of God's word is in the writings, okay? Don't let guys who claim to be evangelicals, claim to believe the Bible, act like, well, God gave them his perfect word, but by the time they wrote it down, it contained errors. What good would that be for us? God guided human authors to record his word uh, without error, and God's word is therefore profitable for teaching of the redeemed, teaching the saved in doctrine, what we should believe, as well as in daily living. And uh, look at Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. Some translations read flawless. Some translations read every word of God has been tested. Well, which one is right? They're all right. The Hebrew language is so much, it's so much more powerful than, uh, than the English language is. So it basically means every word of God has been tested has passed the test and proven itself to be without flaw and completely pure. Okay? I mean, it's the same word as when David didn't use Saul's armor because he hadn't tested it. Okay? The Bible's been tested. It passed that test. You don't believe me. Just, just live your life by the Bible rather than living, the, living your life by your own wisdom and you tell me if your life improved or not. Okay? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words. Eve, you should have learned that. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I mean, look at the, the Mormons claim to believe the Bible. They don't. They twist it and all. But then they add to it the Book of Mormon, Doctrines of the Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, Journal of Discourses, all the teachings of their so-called living prophets, don't add to God's words. You make a fool of yourself. Every word of God is flawless. Uh, listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. He says, all scripture, that's graphe. I mean, it's, scripture is the writing. Scripture is scripture because you scribble. It's the writings. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine. That's the teachings. That's our statement of faith of the Bible doctrines. For reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? That's why I don't add to the word of God things. Like, you know, when, when I grew up Roman Catholic and they were adding all the prayers to the saints and, and the Roman Catholic sacraments and things like that. No, Colossians 2, 8 to 10 says, we're complete in Christ. So... I commit my life to Jesus and his word for daily living. And, uh, and so <clears throat> the Bible is the inspired word of God, <clears throat> recorded without error, and it's profitable for the teaching of the redeemed in doctrine as well as in daily living. And then it's, it's, so it's saying, look, <clears throat> Phil Fernandez, if you study the Bible thoroughly and apply its truths to the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be thoroughly equipped for every good work. <clears throat> so it means I don't need Freud. Okay? It means I don't need the, the wisdom of the World Economic Forum or the, any of these other guys, okay? Just the Bible itself, this is all I need to be equipped for spiritual battle. Now, from my study of the Bible, I find that, oh, I'm supposed to work and take care of my family. Well, with my dad, that meant he had to learn how to be an electrician. He was a very good electrician, retired after... 35 years with Essex County, New Jersey, um, as an electrician. So there's things you might have to learn outside the Bible, but, it's, but, it, but even that is applying the biblical truths, okay? But this idea that for spiritual truth, uh, you know, I need the Bible plus maybe a little transcendental meditation, maybe the Book of Mormon, maybe the Quran, okay, the Muslim Holy Book. No, no. You just need the Bible. I love reading books that either help me to better understand the Bible or help me better to apply the Bible, or it might even be some of the truths that God didn't reveal miraculously, like through the Bible. It might be some of the truths that God has revealed to us through nature, okay? God is, the Bible teaches us, Romans 1, 18 through 22. The invisible God reveals himself to us through his work, the work of his hands, the visible <clears throat> creation. So, uh, but whatever the case, we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work just through studying the scriptures, okay? Why? Because the scriptures are the word of God. And that means that the Bible is the final authority upon which all other things to be tested. Let's look at what Peter says first about the scriptures. Second Peter Second Peter chapter one.
2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter says this, knowing this first. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, a prophecy is when someone proclaims God's truth, okay? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. By the way, later on in this letter, he calls Paul's writing Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3. So they already knew while Peter and Paul were still alive, they knew that Peter and Paul were writing Scripture. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now some people look at that and say, oh, so you're not supposed to interpret the Bible. You got to interpret the Bible. Anything that's written, you got to interpret. What does it mean? That's You interpret it to try to figure out what it means. What he's saying here, though, is that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it wasn't a private human being who just wrote the Scripture in his, by his, based on his own interpretation of reality. Plato, Aristotle, brilliant guys, but their interpretation of reality was sometimes right and sometimes wrong. Okay? Not so with Scripture. It's not of any private interpretation. Well, then where did it come from? It came from God. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by what? The Holy Spirit. So the Bible, so this, the, if I write a book, is my interpretation of reality and truth. So it's not without error, okay? As long as it's consistent with the Bible, it's true, but I'm sure there's areas in my own books where I get something wrong here, something wrong there. But the scriptures, is this is, this is God's truth. You know, that's why, why Paul could say, let God be true and every man a liar. And our faith is going to be tested. And we got to decide, are you going to stand with Jesus? Are you going to say, I'm in Christ, I'm trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, and I believe the Bible is God's word? Now, next week we'll see that the Bible is the final authority upon which all other things are to be tested. Okay? In the eyes of man, every one of us here does not have a whole lot of power. That guy in the White House, in the eyes of man, he's got a lot of power. He may not know it, but he's got a lot of power. Um, the guys at the World Economic Forum, they got a whole lot of power. The guys at the UN, they got a whole lot of power in the eyes of man. Okay? But we trust in the seed of the woman. We trust in the suffering Savior. We trust in God the Son who became a man and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. We trust in him. And oh, by the way, all you powerful people, satanically empowered, who would like to stamp out Christianity, by the way, he's coming back. And... uh you know, Bill Gates might think, no, I don't have to, 
I don't have to deal with Jesus. He's dead and gone. Uh, he's irrelevant. And uh, I got plans for the planet, and it involves exterminating most of humanity. Um, the globalists who think that way, uh, they think they don't have to deal with Jesus. But my message to them is he's coming back. He's coming back in power and in glory. You know, that old expression back in Jersey, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Don't mess with King Jesus. But what's my message to the church? We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. What's our message? It's the same message. Because when you're hurting, you get kicked around all the time. It's like, I used to be considered a good citizen. Now I'm viewed as an enemy of the state. We got FBI emails saying that they were sending people to churches to spy on churches act and talking about us as potential terrorists. Well, stand fast, brothers and sisters, because I got the same word. It's a word of judgment, and it's a warning to the anti-Christians. But it is our blessed hope. It's what gives us hope in the midst of trials. Is that if you're one of his, if you're in Christ, you know. He will return. The king is coming back. The king is coming back in power and in glory. So if the world beats you and knocks you down and fires you for being a Christian, even if you get in prison, even if you get executed. If you're in Christ, stand fast because the king is coming back. Let's close with a word of prayer.